So this morning we will be in Daniel chapter 10, the second part of Daniel chapter 10. We talked about the first part last week, which is Daniel mourning and praying for weeks on end, and then the Lord giving him a vision of himself and the glory of heaven and the glory of Christ. And now we'll look at the way in which uh, the Lord Jesus responds to Daniel and some of the way which he speaks to him about his prayer. And so much more to, to learn this morning. And again, I'm going to try to like get this into the little bit of time we have this morning. And, and there's so much here, and I'm excited to talk about it. But let's stand to honor the Lord this morning as we read his word from Daniel chapter 10. We're going to start with verse 10 and go through 21. Daniel 10, 10. And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright. For now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard. And I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia, and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for days yet to come. When he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face towards the ground and was mute, and behold, one in the likeness of the children of man touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke. I said to him who stood before me, O my Lord, by reason of the vision, pains have come upon me and I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now no strength remains in me and no breath is left in me. Again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O man, greatly loved, fear not, peace be with you, be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, let my Lord speak for you have strengthened me. Then he said, Do you know why I have come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. But I tell you, I will tell you, what is inscribed in the book of truth, there is none who contends by my side against these except Michael, your prince. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Please be seated. We're going to begin this morning in Daniel ten twelve, where Daniel is responded to, and he says, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God. Your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. A phrase there that is of great importance to all of us is that your words have been heard. From the first day you were heard. So he's been praying for weeks here, but he is told directly that his prayer was heard the first day that he prayed it. Why is this so important? Because there, every single person in here has been at a time in your life where you were praying about something and it was as if God did not hear you. And you weren't sure what was going on because you had been praying for a period of time and it, you didn't think that your prayers were being heard by God. Because why? Because God had not answered in the way that you wanted him to answer or you didn't have the response that you expected to have coming from the Lord. 
And so Daniel did not have the response that he expected, and we talked about that some last week. But we're going to go more specifically into this this week as to what it means that God hears us from the first day. But in the scriptures, there are many different examples of God delaying for a long period of time before he answers the prayers of his people. And so it should encourage each and every one of us that Daniel was heard from the first time that he prayed. Because we should know that those of us who are in Christ Jesus, those of you that have put your faith and your trust in Christ Jesus, your prayers are heard by the Lord. And when we are praying according to the will of the Lord, which we're going to talk about that some more this morning, we can know that God will answer our prayers. We don't know when or quite how God will answer our prayers, but when we are praying according to God's will, he will always answer our prayers. So we're going to look at three examples this morning. The first is Daniel himself. And so what is Daniel praying for? As we talked some last week about, Daniel is praying for the restoration of Israel. There's been a group of them that has gone out back to the promised land, but their work in the temple and the work that is to happen to reestablish the people has been delayed and has gone off track. And so he continues to pray for the reestablishment of the people of Israel, which is clearly God's will. It's something that was prophesied of the Lord. It's something that was promised by covenant of the Lord. And so he is praying for God's will to come to pass. And so he prays and he mourns for three weeks before the Lord sends an answer. But we know that three weeks is, in in reality, not a very long time to pray for something before God answers that prayer. And so I want to look at some other examples, one one from Scripture and another from church history, about people waiting for a much longer period of time for God to answer their prayers, even though they heard from the beginning, they were heard from the beginning by the Lord. If we turn over to Luke chapter 2, we have a very interesting two characters here. Two characters that are only referenced usually during Christmas time, but are of such significance, which is Simeon and Anna. Simeon and Anna are both senior citizens, both uh, older, both at the, the tail end of their lives, and they had both been praying for something for their entire life, and that was the advent of the Messiah, to see the incarnation of the Messiah, the Messiah long awaited by the people of Israel, the Messiah from way, way back, and the, the Israel has gone through its exile, its return from exile, the rebuilding of the temple, the rebuilding of the city, and now the falling of it again, being occupied by Rome, all kinds of things have happened and thousands and thousands of years have passed. But the desire to see the Christ come onto the scene still burns brightly in their hearts. And so what do we have here? I'm going to read for you from Luke chapter 2, verse 25 and following. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. We read by that last section, by the way, quickly, because the Holy Spirit is sent to all those who trust in Christ now. But that was an unusual thing in the Old Testament, only bestowed upon those who were the most devout in their heart. Verse 26, And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed the Lord and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles 
and for glory to your people Israel. And so what we have here in just these few verses, and that's it, we don't hear anything else about Simeon, is a man devout for the Lord, seeking the, the salvation of Israel through seeing the Messiah come, and in prayerfully and passionately seeking the Messiah to come, it's revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that you are actually going to see the Messiah. Before you die, you're going to see the Messiah and have him in your hands. And so this man keeps coming back to the temple and is devout day after day, having no idea when this is going to be fulfilled. And so he's just coming into the temple on any other given day where he is being devout in the way in which he follows after the Lord. And on that day, Mary and Joseph show up with Jesus. And he takes this Christ child into his hands and starts quoting the prophet Isaiah and what he has been praying for and longing for his entire life is fulfilled in this moment. But there's another person there that had the same longing, and that's Anna. If we go down to verse 36, at the same moment in time and the same place in time, it says there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher, and she was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day, and coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to, who, to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. So they're there, they coincide at the temple, Mary, Joseph, Jesus, Simeon, Anna, and this incredible event takes place. She who is 84 years old, longing for the consolation of Israel, a life defined, the entire life defined by fasting, by prayer, by constant godliness, and the Lord answers her prayer in her 84th year. And so with both of these Bible characters, we see similar to Daniel, as we've seen Daniel as a man of prayer over and over and over again as we've studied Daniel, that all of these characters are unceasing in their prayer, unceasing in seeking after the Lord and waiting on the Lord while they pray. Praying according to the revealed will of God, asking for what God said will come to pass, to actually come to pass. And what God has said is good to come to its fullness of goodness, expecting an answer and then receiving an answer. Another example that I'd like to share with you this morning that you may or may not be aware of is from church history. Church history has some just incredible, incredible things in it. And one of the great characters of prayer in early church history is Monica. Uh, Monica was the mother of Augustine. If you've ever heard of Augustine, Augustine was one of the great theologians of the early church. And you may have thought, oh, well, he just was raised up as a godly person, became a godly person. No, this is not at all how the life of, and the salvation, I should say, of Augustine came to pass. Augustine was a brilliant person, a person of, of a genius mind, but he did not follow after the Lord. And his mother was a widow, and she prayed very much for him. But at age 17, he started to completely depart the faith and entered into what was called Manichaeism. So Manichaeism was an early form of dualism. Dualism, if you think now, like your, your yin and your yang, or this idea of two good and evil sort of equally battling one another, and we're not quite sure which one's going to win out, and it depends on a lot of things. That is not at all a Christian worldview. And this is what um, Augustine had fallen into and became a devotee of, 
but it was not fulfilling to him. And so he added later a little astrology to it, looking to the stars as to what might come from the stars and divining what God's will is or what may be happening there. That still did not satisfy him, so he went on to follow Plato and some Platonism. But all of that and all of his brilliance and all of his writing and all of his lecturing, it did not constrain or satisfy his soul. And so like so many in our day that can talk for a long period of time about all kinds of brilliant philosophical things, they also enter into sexual sin. And it's the same thing that happened with uh, Augustine. Ended up with a series of lovers and finally having a child with one out of wedlock. And it just his mother just grieved over these things as the years went on. And she began to pray for Augustine. And so I'm going to read for you from his uh, autobiography called Confessions, The Confessions of St. Augustine. He devotes lengthy sections in this book to how his mother prayed for him. And he completely uh, attributes his salvation to the work of the Lord through the answering of the prayers of his mother. He says, My mother, thy faithful one, weeping to you, O Lord, for me, more than mothers weep the bodily deaths of their children. For she, by that faith and spirit which she had from you, O Lord, discerned the death of my situation. And you heard her prayer, O Lord. You heard her and did not despise her tears. When streaming down, they watered the ground under her eyes in every place where she prayed. Yea, you heard her, O Lord. The idea of a weeping mother praying for a lost child. For many years, as we'll see, Augustine did not excuse me, did not come to salvation until 32 years of age. And so there's a long gap between the initial rebellion of this young man and him coming back to the Lord Jesus. He affirmed and helped this woman along the way as she prayed for her son. Uh, One of the things recorded in his confessions is a dream that the Lord gave her one time of her being in heaven and seeing her son come to be where she was, coming out of where he was to where she was, Another time was a series of ministers seeing the way in which she prayed, saying, God will answer your prayer. There's no way that you can pray for as many years as you have with the passion that you have prayed and God not answer your prayer because we know that it is God's will to seek and to save the lost. And so as 15 years passed, he writes this, in which I walked in the mire of that deep pit and in the darkness of falsehood, often attempting to rise, but each time falling down more grievously, All that time, the godly, sober widow, full of hope, yet not relaxing in her weeping and mourning for me at all hours of her devotion, bringing my case to you, O Lord, and her prayers entered into your presence, and yet you suffered me to be involved and re-involved in the darkness. And so what he points out is part of what we're looking at today, that the prayer that she prayed was heard by God early on but it was not answered till much later. And so what happens is eventually all people that come to salvation, they come under great conviction of their sin. So in his 32nd year, he began to be incredibly convicted of his sin and came to a place of absolute brokenness in his life over his waywardness, over his rejection of all these things that his mother had been teaching him of year after year after year, a rejection of God's spirit, a rejection of God's word. And in his weeping over his sins, He said there was an inexplicable voice that came to him and said, take up and read. 
And he understood that to be the scriptures. Because like all people that run from the Lord, the scriptures are the last thing that they take up. Because when they take up the scriptures, they're taking up God's word and it changes their life forever. And so he, he goes quickly to a friend that has a Bible and he says that he just threw the Bible open to see the first thing that God would put before him at that moment. And this is what the Lord put before him. As the scriptures were opened, his eyes lit upon Romans chapter 13, verses 13 through 14. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its lusts. And this is where he, exactly where he had been living and exactly what was going on. And it just cut him straight to the heart to put off these old things and put on the Lord Jesus Christ and follow after him. And Augustine was never the same person again. He went on after that to, become a, to put away all of the philosophy of the world and become one of the greatest students and expositors and expounders of scripture in the day in which he lived. And so the Lord works salvation in his life from the humble asking and praying of his mother and her, her persevering and not giving up and not stopping seeking after the soul of a lost child. You know, as a, a brief aside, many people often comment on how many young people and how many youth and how many young adults are in this church, and for that, I greatly rejoice. But I believe the greatest reason why we have so many young people and children in this church is because of believing parents that are seeking after their children. Mothers like this, praying for their children. Fathers like this, praying for their children, seeking after the souls of their children and never stopping to pursue the souls of their children that they might come to salvation. And then what we're doing here at the church is trying to come alongside and help those parents and bring them into community. But the primary work is being done in the homes of you mothers and fathers who love the Lord. Well, what are the common aspects of God answering these prayers? We have in Daniel 12 an answer to prayer. We have with Anna and Simeon an answer to a long life of prayer. We have in Monica an example of prayer. Well, we have two things that are pointed out to us here in Daniel chapter 10 about Daniel's prayer that is true of the other prayers that I've mentioned and true of every life of prayer in every Christian. And it is first that it is characterized by humility and second by asking. So if we go back to Daniel chapter 10 verse 12, this messenger who I believe is the Lord Jesus points out clearly, yes your words were heard from the first time you spoke them when you humbled yourself before God. Peter reminds us in his first letter, humble yourself therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. It is our role to humble ourselves before the Lord. What does that mean? I believe we see this in Daniel's life, in Simeon's life, in Anna's life, in Monica's life. What it means is complete dependence on the Lord. Reducing and acknowledging yourself to be in a powerless place. As Americans, we don't like being in a powerless place. We want to scheme, figure out something, ask God for a little help, a little, a little push along the way, but we want to pretty much figure this thing out ourselves. But when we are truly praying according to the will of the Lord, we're going to find ourselves in a powerless place, a place that we cannot accomplish 
what is before us. And that's what drives us so deeply to our knees. Daniel could not personally affect the restoration of Israel. He couldn't do it. And so what he had to do was fast and pray and ask God to do it. Anna and Simeon could not cause the Messiah to come. But they knew that the nation and all the people needed this salvation so bad. And so they get on their knees and day after day after day, they ask God to do something that they cannot do. Monica, the same thing as with every parent. You cannot make your child come to salvation. You cannot do it. All you can do is get down on your knees and ask God to accomplish what only he can accomplish. And you teach them and you pray for them and you seek them, but you know you can't bring it. And so you're in a humble place. This is what is called for us in prayer. Not that we be a scheming people, but that we be a humble people asking God to lift us up and asking God to accomplish his will and his purposes in his time while we wait in prayer upon him. This is a theme that we see everywhere in the Bible, and it is something of humility. So effective or true prayer before the Lord is always accompanied by humility, and secondly, it's always accompanied by asking. It's interesting, the last part of verse 12, I have come because of your words. That's interesting. What is he talking about? Well, I think at least part of what he is getting at here is that there is a distinct and significant difference between vague hope and asking of God of things by prayer. It's not the same thing. Going along with a sort of a general hope that things are just going to be okay is not what Jesus is calling for us in prayer. We ought to be a people of hope, that is for sure. But we are called over and over in the Old Testament and in the New to specifically ask of God what is on our heart. Daniel asked, Anna asked, Simeon asked, Monica asked, and we should ask. And Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, a central teaching of Jesus, he says right in the middle of chapter 7, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives, and everyone who seeks, finds, and everyone who knocks, the door shall be opened. And again, in a different way, in John chapter 16, until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be made full. And so we are commanded by the Lord to bring our requests to him. And I think it's interesting if you go back and look at these things and think about this, and you look at your own life, and you say, the things that burden me most, how often do I actually go to prayer and ask God for these things and present these things in humility before the Lord? We are commanded by the Lord to do this. And so each of these examples and each of these characters were putting before the Lord with their words. They were expressing to God what was on their heart and asking God to answer, and he did answer. And it should cause each of us to look at our own prayer life and say, what are we humbly asking God for? Are we just generally hoping for things to happen in the future? Or are we truly a prayerful people expressing to God the things that are on our heart and making them known to the Lord? Perhaps it is exactly as I've said this morning, the salvation of a child a young child or an older wayward child. Perhaps it's something related to marriage, either the forming of a marriage or the, the concern of a failing marriage. 
Perhaps it's the strength of the church. Do you pray for this church? The blessing of this church is is a beautiful thing, but it does not come without God pouring out his spirit to cause it to happen. And it's something that we ought to pray for. Perhaps to be delivered from temptation, knowing that there is something that is just dogging your life and is just pulling you down day after day after day, a sin that so easily entangles. Are you asking God to deliver you from that temptation and deliver you from that evil that you might be strong against it? I believe that in all of our prayers, when we humble ourselves and we express these things to God and we ask that we will, in fact, receive and the Lord will answer according to his good time. When you pray and when you persevere in prayer, according to God's will with great humility, know that your prayer is heard from the first words that are spoken. And take to heart that the Lord knows what you are praying and that he will answer your prayer according to his time. What answer is given to Daniel here? Because it's interesting. After he says, I've heard, I've come because of your words. Verses 13 and 14 and 20 and 21 are the parts in chapter 10 that speak to what was happening and what was the delay. There's a most unusual delay expressed for why it took three weeks to get here, and part of the purposes of God and what he is doing are revealed there. And so some of the phrasing, some of the things that are spoken of in verses 13 and 14 are the fact that this coming was delayed by the prince of Persia that withstood me for 21 days, and Michael, who came to help me, and then in verses 20 and 21, that I will return again to fight against the prince of Persia, and then to fight against the prince of Greece. And so what are we to make of this as this first expression to Daniel after uh, this vision of the Lord Jesus? Well, every commentator that I am aware of understands these things not to be a physical prince, but something that is of an evil influence in that area. Whether it is some great uh, demonic force or Satan himself, that there is some evil that is driving those countries, which makes sense because they are countries that were working to actively oppress and enslave God's people. And if, if the Lord Jesus could be hindered or could be stopped in what he was trying to accomplish, then God's people could be oppressed forever, the covenant that he made with them broken and them never restored, and, the sh- and shame instead of glory coming upon the name of Christ Jesus. And so in praying to the Lord and asking for an answer, there is this unusual slowing down of what is happening. And so before I go there, let me mention, there's, because when we have this idea of, of some evil spirit or evil being over or uh, being a part of a nation, that's often extrapolated into something called a, a territorial spirit or a territorial demon. And I want to be clear that I don't think that this is a, a standard or a norm in the Bible. One of the other parts in the New Testament that we see that is interesting and unusual related to this that we should note is Revelation chapter 2, verse 13, which is one of the, one of the uh, letters to one of the churches, the church at Pergamum. That's the most interesting and unusual statement. It says, your church being located in the area where Satan's throne is. That is, a, that is a sobering statement, that the town that you live in is where Satan has set up his shop, which is theologically consistent in that we understand that Satan is not 
co-equal with God. He is not omnipresent. He is not everywhere at once. He is setting up shop somewhere. And we see different appearances of Satan in the scriptures, always in one place at one time. But this idea that he has a focal point in the world at different points and times is sobering. But we shouldn't see there being a spiritually evil driver behind Persia and a spiritually evil driver behind Greece to extrapolate that there is some assignment of demons to all places in the world. It's just too, it's too, taking it too far. And so instead, I understand this to be that uh, always Satan and those who are with him are working against the purposes of God. And always in scripture, we see a struggle, a continual struggle between spiritual evil and the Lord our God. But the second thing that we should point out is this idea of withstanding or came to help. Because this is the greatest struggle in the interpretation from last week that this vision is about Jesus. Because some people say, well, how could it possibly be that any spiritual evil could withstand or that Jesus would need help in any type of a situation dealing with spiritual evil? And those are good questions and questions that ought to be asked. And it's my understanding of what we have in this situation here is that we have a struggle uh, between uh, the Lord Jesus as he is coming to Daniel and what is happening in uh, wicked things going on in the kingdom of Persia. And as he struggles for a period of time, he calls and Michael comes alongside of him and basically relieves him. And the Lord Jesus comes to Daniel and reveals himself to him and says, I'm going to go back to this struggle when I'm done talking with you. And when that struggle is ended, and there's other places we can go to look at how that's going to end and why that's going to end, Greece is going to then come into power, and I'm going to continue to struggle against that evil. And the interesting last verse of this chapter that, uh, but I tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth, there is none who contends by my side against these except Michael, your prince. So uh, we can also reference to Jude 9 related to Michael, but there seems to be some specific association of the archangel Michael and the protection of the Jewish people, which is very interesting and unusual. But uh, that is what seems to be going on here. But in total, we have spiritual struggle, which I think takes us to the next and most important part of this, this question of why is there spiritual struggle at all? Because we look at other places, whenever we're interpreting scripture, we should take less clear places and look at more clear places and things in the Old Testament and look to interpretation in the New Testament. And if we want to look to other places as to, is God actually in control? Is there really truly a a fight between spiritual good and evil that might not be won by the Lord? We can look at other places and see absolutely clearly the sovereignty of God over evil and the fact that evil is only allowed to accomplish and do whatever it is given opportunity to do by the allowance of the Lord our God. We see this in the Old Testament most clearly, I believe, in the book of Job, uh, which our young people are looking at on Wednesday nights, a great uh, book of the Bible that is often neglected. But we see it in the life of Jesus everywhere. We see demons not struggling against him, but asking, like, don't destroy us right now. Can I just leave and maybe go into all those pigs? And he says, yes, I'll give you allowance to do that because your time has not yet come. 
But when we look in the book of Revelation, go all the way to chapter uh, 19 and verse 21, right before the millennial reign and the end of all things as we know it, what do we have is the Lord Jesus in all of his power and all of his strength by the word of his power destroying all of his enemies. And there is no real battle because by the word of the Lord they are all destroyed. And so the question, I think, really that comes here is to why is there struggle with evil in general? This is one of the greatest questions that people struggle all the time with. And one of the things I want you to see here in this struggle between the Lord God and the evil things of this world is that we have a picture of God struggling against evil for his people to accomplish his purposes. And that's what we see over and over and over in the scriptures, that as the Lord is at work and evil is doing what it is doing and Satan is doing all that he can to destroy all the works of the Lord, the Lord upholding his purposes and upholding his plans, causing them to come to pass, he is the one that is in fact struggling on our behalf to see those things come to pass. And so we must understand on this side of the cross that the power of sin and death has been fully defeated on the cross and by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But according to his will, the Lord has not yet fully removed all evil things from the world. And so we, as we very well know, are encountering every day things that are evil. And those things that are evil are not just in and of themselves. They're always undergirded and pressed and driven by spiritual evil in the world. And so the situation is not altogether unlike the situation that Daniel was in. And so when we look at our role in this, our role, I believe, is exactly the same as that of Daniel that we are to take the place of humility, the place of prayer, and the hope in God, and that we are commending ourselves to God and asking for him to strive on our behalf against these evil things and to accomplish his will in the world and believe that he has heard our prayers and that he is absolutely powerful to accomplish his will in the world. And so as we close out and look at some of the spiritual struggle in the New Testament and the way that it's framed in the New Testament, I want you to see the parallels between spiritual struggle in the Old Testament and prayerfulness in the life of Daniel and spiritual struggle in the New Testament and the life of prayerfulness in the New Testament believer. When we turn to Ephesians chapter 6 with Paul closing out his letter to the Ephesians, he has this, this outlining of these uh, spiritual uh, armor is what he calls it. Uh, it is a, it's a comparison to the aspects of the Christian life as if it were armor and an offensive weapon in the sword of the Spirit against evil things, the devil. But I want to read three verses from this chapter, which are so important. Verse 10, chapter 6, verse 10, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. So where does our strength come from? Where did Daniel's strength come from? Where does the strength of every Christian come from? It comes from the unending strength of Christ our Savior. You do not have the strength that you need to struggle against the spiritually evil things in this world, and neither did Daniel. That's why he humbled himself before the Lord and sought to be strong in the strength of the Lord. Verse 13 Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. This idea of standing firm is a synonym of perseverance or endurance, of not giving up on things. 
There is so much evil in this world, just like there was so much evil back then. Daniel had every reason to be despondent and to give up. Simeon and Anna had every reason under Roman occupation to be despondent and give up on the work of the Lord. Monica had every reason after year 16 to give up on praying for her wayward son, but she did not, and each of them did not. And every godly person, by the strength given to us by God, never loses heart. And we always stand firm in the evil day according to God's strength. And lastly, verses 18 and following. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me. And so where does this end, this idea of being armored or protected and strengthened by the Lord God? It's a call to humility and perseverance, and it's a call to prayerfulness. This is where the Lord would have us to be. This is where God's people have always been, and this is where you and I need to be, which is hoping in the Lord, seeking him for his purposes, humbly and in all things, asking that the will of God might be accomplished in our lives and in our church and in our community and waiting for the Lord to answer those prayers according to his good will. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for this time and thank you for this passage. A most unusual passage, one that we have so much to learn from. And we thank you for Daniel, your servant, in his old age, passionate to see your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, fasting and praying, and him setting an example that many, many others have followed and that we ought to also follow down to this day. A window in this chapter into great spiritual struggle, a struggle between the work of the Lord God and our adversary, Satan, but a struggle that is always in your hands and a struggle that has been finally completed. All things in it have been finished. We are just waiting for them to be uh, finally brought to pass. With the cross and the resurrection and the reign of Jesus Christ that you seat now at the right hand of God and we wait for your coming. And so Lord, help us in our prayer. Help us to stand firm in the strength of your might. Help us not to lose heart in any of these things. And I pray that we would be a prayerful people asking for your, will, your work to be done. And I pray, especially this morning, from this example that we have uh, talked about in the life of a prayerful mother, I pray for any in our church that are wayward, those that have turned their back upon the Lord, but have been raised in such a way to know who Christ Jesus is, to understand the gospel. I pray, Father, that this message would be of great conviction to them to turn from their sins and put their faith and trust in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name, I pray these things. Amen.